Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. And blessings. Good evening. And welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom Estate. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author, Leslie Gist, and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who, with faith and focus, are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight. And we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Uh, before we get started, just a public service announcement that today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. You can listen to their audiobooks whenever and whenever you want and get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at www. That audiobooksblackhistory.com. That's www.audiobooksblackhistory.com. My name is Roy Paul. I'll be your host for this evening. This episode is dedicated to Dr. Andrew Jackson, who was one of the most recognized and influential black surgeons in the country. He was a graduate of Mick Harry Medical School. He was the son of former slaves, and he was unfortunately murdered uh, by the white mob in front of his home. Every episode, as you know, we try to educate you on another piece of African-American history that is important to you that you should know and remember. Tonight it's about Dr. Andrew Jackson. So for more information on him, you can feel free to Google the web. Tonight it is a privilege to be speaking with Walter E. Perrier. He is the executive producer of Black Wall Street. Uh, phenomenal film that everyone should go and see, The Gift of Freedom, uh, wholeheartedly endorses this project. And we're joined with Mr. Perry on the phone now. I'm so excited to be speaking with you. Can you please tell me and our listening audience what Black Wall Street is all about? Well, Black Wall Street is about Greenwood, also Tulsa, Oklahoma, a very prominent town um, in entrepreneurship in the town, primarily African-American, Native American, and some Jewish as well. And it was known not only for its wealth, but for its ability to create a sustainable community. So it is very much, it was very much an example of something that we even now try to strive for today. And this town was destroyed during the Tulsa riots in 1921. Um, the alleged reason is that basically a black man tripped and fell and touched a white woman, a white elevator operator. And this was the reason, this was such an outrage, and this was the reason that this town was destroyed. But in actuality, the story deals with the fact that it's not so much racism, but very much uh, uh, economic, uh, economic uh, oppression. 
and sometimes greed. So it's a very interesting story because it deals very much with the human condition and um, and how racism is used as an excuse um, for exploitation. Um, how did you get involved with the project? Um, well, basically, it was something that I had heard of the story from a friend, another executive producer. It's three of us, Michael Allen, uh, Willis Cottrell, and myself. And I had heard the story of Michael Allen, and then I was very fortunate enough to meet Michael Green, who is the artistic director. And that's pretty much how we came to that. Starting from the beginning of the project, talk about how you put something like this together and make sure that it's an accurate depiction of what happened. Well, I think one way of doing that is basically how you tell the story, meaning that you're focusing on human factors as opposed to trying to just say a particular message. I think that's one way that you keep in truth with it. It doesn't mean that you don't have an interpretation, but I think it's very important to see people as people and to also realize that despite having different races, that you actually have more similarities. Fear, um, as I said before, economic oppression, depression. So I think that's one of the things that we are trying to strive towards and not without keeping the very strong facts that this was a black community and that this has happened again and again, not only with Greenwood. And it also very much touches with what is happening now because our communities are often in assault and we are often not represented lawfully. So I think it deals with issues that are specific to us and allow us to not only see how that affects us, but also to be able to realize that there are more human conditions that can help us either learn how to avoid these problems or to better educate and to elevate ourselves. Mm-hmm. Are, are there any survivors left, in, and if what, if any, input did they have in the project? There are survivors. There are survivors. Um, there is one who, there is one special guest who will be coming to the show, and he is a survivor of the town. Um, Or a descendant, actually, not an actual survivor, but a descendant. Um, And their input, you know, their input is through interest, mostly, and appreciation and that and respect that we continue to tell the story. That's Mm -hmm. how they're involved in it. We also have, as well as the play, we also have a series of workshops that will be around it that deal with you know, specific issues, um, community sustainability, um, financial literacy workshops, and these are things that will be going on even before and during the run of the play. And then we also have a visual exhibition that will give a representation of um, this period and what happened. Uh, uh, is there anything surprising that you were surprised to learn um, going through the project and realizing some of the history? <clears throat> surprising? You mean, you mean, well, no. Or anything that stood out in particular to you that you said, wow, I, I'm surprised that that happened or I didn't realize that that would have happened. Or, 
Well, I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, no. I, I think what the only thing that was really surprising to me was that the story is not known more. That's what surprises me because it's something that should just be a part of our history. And you know, and this you know, this is an it's an ongoing this is an ongoing cycle, you know, that the black community finds itself in. And so to have so that's the only thing that really surprised me about it. It's not it's I have my own interpretation obviously, but it's not surprising that this event occurred. And it's even less surprising that it's not a part of our education. Because you can't really rely on a society that has not always treated us favorably in the least to educate us properly, right? It's really our responsibility to educate ourselves. So um, that's really, you know, in that sense, and I guess the story in that sense, too, I mean, it's a wonderful example of that, despite the tragedy of it. And I think it's also a wonderful example of what, we should strive for as a race, as a culture, as a community, you know, solidarity. Too often we don't have it. Right. Are are there any current examples of that community in Tulsa, Oklahoma, present day? You mean like actual town examples or... Yeah, are there any actual communities that operate in the same kind of way that that community did back then? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny as you say. I mean, one example of that um, could be the Bronx, actually, uh, the South Bronx. Um, I think where the South Bronx is currently, uh, there are a lot of, because what brought this town together and what I also find very fascinating and what brought people together was trade because they were segregated, they were segregated, so they were coming out of segregation. So obviously certain groups, whites, didn't want to trade with blacks for whatever reason. So they were forced to trade among themselves, um, and and trade doesn't mean just buy and consume, but actually barter, which means knowing the resources that you have and knowing your neighbor's resources and being able to pull that together so that you can survive. So that's one Mm -hmm. of the concepts that I really found fascinating about Greenwood is that they did that to such a point that, A, it allowed them to find other groups, marginalized groups, but other groups and trade with them and trade with them in an equitable way, which is really the point because with consumerism, and, you know, a lot of aspects of how we, America as a society, trade. It's just not really, it's not, it's not equitable, obviously, but it's also, it's not equitable just because of the disproportion, the disproportionate degree of wealth. So the more I have, the more I'm able to consume in a simple term. And, it, and Greenwood didn't strike me like that when I was learning about the story of Greenwood. In fact, it was very mm-hmm. much the opposite. It was about the resources staying as much within the community to 
to help develop the community as possible. This is a brilliant, again, and if you also realize that it's not with, with community sustainability being the popular concept now, um, black people haven't been represented in that, but it's very clearly, if you look at history, very clear that that was a concept that was a part of our culture a long time ago, a long, long, long time ago, and that's what mm -hmm. we used to survive. So I find it very interesting that a concept that we are very familiar with we become divorced from as we've gone right. further and further in history. So, yeah. Um, yeah. You understand? Absolutely. Um, I want to get your take on something because I've, I've had some experience dabbling uh, with uh, with plays and productions and, and documentaries, mm. although they're somewhat different in their scope, but they're, they're, they're all telling the story. And on one hand, you want to stay true to the artistic integrity of the project, right? You want to make mm -hmm. sure that you tell Absolutely. the story accurately. But especially mm. when you deal with young people, you want to also make it very appealing to them, especially with the historical piece, because you think young people, you, you get in there, and if you don't grab them within seven minutes, then they're falling asleep and they're nodding off in the corner somewhere. And so mm. I, I want, you know, I'm curious to get your take as an executive producer when you help them to frame this and put it together. Um, you know, how do you or do you think about how to process this piece so that young people in particular who really need to understand the history get it? Absolutely. Absolutely. But that doesn't mean like that doesn't mean like dumbing it down. But that does very much mean one aspect of that is definitely how you're presenting it and not just the play itself, but what I'm talking about like mm -hmm. marketing, for example. That's very that's one point that's very that's uh that's very important. So like one of the things we did is we made a clip. Um and it's a play, but we made a clip anyway because we knew that we wanted a certain demographic and then just people see things visually. So when we made that and then we sent it out, a lot of people became interested in it from the content and then we had you know, and then they realized afterwards it's a play. Um so that's one way of dealing with it in uh in a in a simpler way. I guess the other way is with the play itself, um, we wanna give a historical representation of something. So it's not so much about modernizing it, but it is very much about them understanding that he, this was a different time and that people mm -hmm. move differently because that's how you sort of translate some cultural ideas. Um, now, you know? I, I want to go through the dates that you're going to be presenting this um, and where yeah. you're going to be presenting it. Well, it's going to, you know, September 18th, this, you know, next week, September 18th is when we open. Um, it runs through October 5th. Uh, it's at the Andrew Freeman Home, which is between 156th Street and McClellan on the Grand Concourse, right across the street from the Bronx Museum, 1921, Lot building, 117,000 square feet the size of the city block. So um, you can't really miss it. It's a nice, a nice space. No, I, I'm familiar with it. Uh, when I got oh, yeah? There, have you been? I, I, not only have I been there, um, but I, when I got the script, I didn't know, you know much about your background or, or about uh, where mm -hmm. this was going to take place. And then when I got the email describing mm -hmm. it, I said, wait a second, I've been there before, and I was trying to think, why have I been there? It's because my cousin worked. Um, oh, was your cousin? And uh, Princess Alexander. 
<laughs> and I said to myself, You're I said, why do No, she's my cousin. Yeah, first cousin. Uh, her mom and my mom are direct sisters. And so I said, why have I heard of this? And, I, and it just it dawned on me that, of course, Philly, you've been there because you went to visit your cousin. Um, wow. And so, but, well, but it, I've, it, worked, it, I've known your cousin for many, 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 many years. She's quite the exceptional lady. And I think, and she's, and she's like a complete, complete pivotal part of our group and team. She really is. She's amazing. Um, and I think she's also, you know, it's, 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 we're part of an organization that not only has vision, but really has the possibility to make a change, you know, for everyone in District 4, for the South Bronx. So we're, we're all really committed to that. We believe in that. Another reason why they're supporting us doing Black Wall Street, because it's very similar to the mission that they have, which is giving real housing, quality housing to people, um, and affordable housing at that. So, yeah, so you have so, to you yeah. have to give us a little bit of history of the Andrew Freeman because for those who don't know about this place, they really should. Yeah, it's a, well, it's you know, it was built in 1921, completed in 1928. Uh, it currently has an artist residency of 18 different artists of all different mediums, and basically, the program is an exchange, a work studio space in exchange for 20 hours of um community art development is how we label it. And that can happen in a variety of ways, but it's usually tailored from the quality of the artist and their process and, and their aesthetic. So, yeah, so it's 20 hours, and, and it, it, it's pretty amazing. I mean, that aspect of it, the groups, they often work together. Um, we do four exhibitions a year, um, a variety of performances, and all of it is based towards educating the community and using art techniques to help an artist in workspace, not a museum, um, not necessarily a gallery. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty, we've done, I don't know, I mean, I, it's weird talking about it because I, I've, been, I've been working with it for so long. I mean, it, it started three years ago. It started with a group called No Longer Empty that we collaborated with. And, and then from that one show, um, you know, the Andrew Freeman started on its journey, you know, and that journey yeah. was very much about, you know, it, it was just about giving art to the community. I mean, influences of PS1, um, uh, La Mama, uh, we have a lot of deep mix kind of influences, but that also is very much connected with the community. And uh, and it's in, and art, is, art belongs to everyone, which is really one of our, driving aspects. I mean, so many times I've been in theater myself since I was six years old. And so I never grew up feeling that art was strange or divorced from my life or something that I could only see in certain settings like that. That, that reality doesn't exist in me. So when I meet people, and even more importantly, <laughs> a group of people, our community, our Bronx community, that sometimes feels divorced from art, because of the setting, um, I find that disturbing because that's not, uh, you know, no one, no one can decide about beauty or who should be available to it. That's, that's, that's contrary to the human condition. So, so yeah, so, you know, it's very much uh, 
it's an artisan workspace, and you provide just a variety of education. Um, people are welcome to apply to it if they want um, via a proposal. Some of the artists we have with us is Erin Levansky, um, music beat maker, um, Valerie Irizarry, our resident costume extraordinaire, uh, Josue Colon, who's shown at the Whitney, uh, Melissa Calderon, um, Meguru Yamaguchi. We have a nice variety. Oh, Cool Herc, how can I forget? And of course, Cool Herc. We have a nice variety of people. Um, and then we love bringing these different artists together to create multimedia installations and performances. So we have now. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. people should definitely look up the Andrew Freeman house and, and you can rent rooms and stay there for a day, a night, a week, a month, however long you like. So it's a really beautiful place. Um, so for Black Wall Street, is there a website where people can get more information? Yeah, yeah, for Black Wall Street, blackwallstreetplay.com, and you can see all kinds of interesting stuff on that. Andrew Friedman Home, you could do Andrew Friedman Complex. Um, okay. And, um, Excellent. Thanks. So, were you finishing up something? No, 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 no. I wasn't going to say anything else. I was going to. I was just saying. I just said thanks. <laughs> so, no, it's great. I, I just wanted to recap that um, about the the play Black Wall Street, September 18th. You can get information uh, on blackwallstreetplay.com. It's going to be at the Andrew Friedman Home in the Bronx. You really should check it out. Um, yeah, there's also, also there's also currently our current exhibition is the broadest is the Bronx Artist Documentary Project. Um, organizer Danny Halvin. That is a photography show of 80 different Bronx artists, 30 different photographers documenting artists as they work during their process. So that is in our gallery space at the Andrew Friedman House. If people want to check that out as well. Love that. Thank you so much, Walter E. Purier. Uh, it was really a pleasure having you on. And the next time you have a project going on, please let us know and we'll be happy to help you promote it. Very cool, very cool. Thank you. All right. Good night. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.